Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pegasus Podcast presented by Night Sports Now. This is episode nine. I am Bailey Adams and I'm joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. NightSportsNow.com is where you can find our written work on UCF, including this week's pieces Christian wrote uh, about tempering expectations for UCF football, and I wrote something on Coach Abe from UCF Women's Basketball being Danny White's best hire as uh, during his tenure at UCF. So go ahead and check those pieces out. Find us on Twitter. And uh, before we jump into things, I want to thank the Sons of UCF for having us on their Thursday night live show. Hope you guys were able to catch that and see your boys on there and uh, appreciate them for, for a great conversation and for, for having us on. And uh, with that, Christian, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing really great. I'm doing extra great because this is the first time we've done this and said, check out Night Sports Now. And we've actually like written things recently <laughs> on there because life yeah. got a little busy for a little bit. And, uh, a little bit. We, we, uh, it makes, now it makes sense that I'm plugging the, the Night Sports Now Twitter because there's actually tweets on there and there's actually stuff on the website. So I wonder how many people <laughs> were like, wow, I should check out Night Sports Now. Man, this stuff from January is great. So they go to the Twitter and they're like, why is Mackenzie Milton still the header photo? I changed that today. Thanks. That, thank that's you, changed. Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. For, <laughs> our poor friend Sarah pointed that out today, and we appreciate that. That's now changed. So yeah, go now follow. Go, go follow at Night Sports Now and see what it is. Did you just say what it was? Oh, I said it's Mikey Keen, but that's a lie. It's not. You oh, can okay. actually go see. Who All right, yeah, go see who it actually is on the on the header on the Night Sports Now Twitter. So once we have that, a photo uh, of Mikey Keen, it will be Mikey Keen. <laughs> yeah, we're we're big Mikey Keen guys here on this podcast, but. On the topic of ex- expectations for UCF football and something Christian wrote about this week, we're going to get into our, our lone big topic of this week, and we figured it'd be a good time to talk about what UCF football will look like within the next five years. Obviously, there's a lot of hype going around uh, with the hiring of Gus Malzahn and you know the entire coaching staff he's brought in, and people are pretty hopped up right now on some UCF football. So we figured, what, 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 are, you gonna, what are things going to look like in the next five years? Because... If we look at the last two years, well, no, 2000, 2019, good year. 2020, not a great year. Things were kind of trending down. But now we're back on the upswing and looking for looking forward to the future under Gus Malzahn. So Christian and I both have brought three predictions to the table for the next five years. Full disclosure, we don't know each other's predictions, so we'll be reacting in real time. And uh, Christian, I'll, I'll throw it over to you for your first one, and hopefully this isn't one that we both share. I'm, this is like a, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this because – like the last one we did like this was when we came up with games we wanted Mahadra to try to schedule and I figured we'd have some crossover. You can go so many directions with this one. I really don't know if we're going to have any of the same predictions, but, or maybe we'll have all the same, who knows. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just want to start with my first prediction is one that I'm sure UCF, I was realizing as I was doing this, like I had to reverse cause I'm like, I'm making predictions that fans are just going to be upset about. Um, cause I tend <laughs> well, to be your, a very, that's your role. I tend to be a pretty pessimistic person. So anyway, my first prediction with research, so don't come at me with you're just being negative, is I believe five years from now, UCF will be a member of the American Athletic Conference. <laughs> you got me there for a second. I don't know if you saw my eyebrows. Raised I saw your eyebrow you raised. Yeah. You did. I, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's reasonable. I don't, yeah, I don't have any, uh, any back, like anything to say back to that, really. I don't, well, I don't see expansion happening anytime soon either. Well, I looked into it because I was thinking, because obviously the last time the expansion wave really hit was because a lot of the conferences TV contracts expired and that gave them room to play around. And I mean, like realignment that 2010 to 2013 period was absurd. Like how many people remember that there were 11 FBS conferences like as recently as like 2012? Um, So I looked at it, the ACC, I feel like when everyone talks about UCF, they talk about the ACC and the Big 12 or the two power five conferences that would realistically take UCF. They're obviously never going to be SEC because the SEC is done. Big 10 makes no sense. Pac-12 would be quite a road trip for every single game. Pac-12 makes even less sense. Um, I want to live in a world where UCF is randomly in the Pac-12. It's I I just, I don't know. They'd get a lot of frequent flyer miles. But um, (laughs) so the ACC's contract does not expire until 2036. They're locked in until then. Now that could get torn up if, Notre Dame decides to become a full member, they would absolutely blow that contract up to bring Notre Dame in. A, I don't think Notre Dame is going to do that. I know people think that's like on the table now because of they joined the conference because of COVID. Notre Dame has no interest in being in that conference. They're, I mean, they kind of already are a member. All their other sports are in there. They get five ACC games, but they love getting their own TV money. They love having the independent flexibility to play all those rivalry games they played for a billion years. So I don't really see that one happening. And even if it did happen, I know UCF fans are like, oh, well, the ACC needs a 16th team. Naturally, it would be UCF. Pretty sure Miami and Florida State would not be a big fan of UCF joining that conference. They would probably go get like West Virginia or something like that. So ACC's out. Big 12, Big 12 
their contract expires after 2025. So UCF is, UCF could get into the Big 12, but they're pretty much locked in up through this five-year window we're talking about. So I just hope, I thought this was an interesting prediction because I know there are like some UCF fans and I totally get it because of the way this sport hammers in Power 5 that it talks like, oh, well, once UCF is Power 5 this, once UCF is Power 5 that, we don't know how things are going to shake. UCF's biggest advantage was being in Florida and their TV market. TV markets aren't really going to matter a ton in the next wave of realignment since we're going to streaming and like household TVs and all that doesn't mean as much. So UCF might not necessarily get a P5 invite. And I definitely don't think they'll get one in the next five years, but I, that doesn't mean this program can't achieve a lot of really, really awesome stuff. Yeah. And I, I think it sounded like when Terry Mahajer got hired and he started talking about, oh, the whole thing, uh, G5 versus P5 is a mindset. I don't think we like, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily agree with that. Like on the whole, but I think there's an element of that, that UCF has to adopt and kind of just take on as their own, because yeah, you can't just bank on getting added to the power five conferences. And I mean, I don't know that anyone really is banking on it. Eh, I think people actually might be banking on it. No, it's definitely, it's a minority of the fan base, but I do see people occasionally where they're like, well, it's like one, it's talked about like once we're in power five and it's like, guys, that it's not the, it's not the same environment. It was 10 years ago. That might just not be the way these things break. Right. And I think like if if there is expansion, I think, you know, obviously UCF has as strong of a case as anyone. Unless, like you said, for the ACC, if they're going to pull from the Big 12 and take West Virginia or if they're going to try to do stuff like that, then obviously it's going to be a little bit different. But I think for, you know, if you're looking at the group of five teams, there's no better resume for for what you for a power five expansion than UCF. So, you know, I think it could happen in the future. It might be something that, you know, is on the table, but. I wouldn't really, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect it to happen in the next five years and maybe even in the next 10 years, but that's a whole other conversation. Well, um, let me tell you one thing real quickly on that, because I know that like you what, what you just said, and I know that's the opinion of a lot of UCF fans as well, that the Big 12 was going to expand. It, UCF is the number one candidate. UCF is the number one candidate of group of five teams. Yeah. I think that we are, ju- and this is why I, the other main reason I have this prediction, I think we're just as likely to see contraction in college football as we are expansion with the power five. What's to stop that? The big 12 contract expires this right around the same time the PAC 12 contract does, I think a year after. What's to stop the big 12 from saying, we are going to expand. We absolutely are. We're going to go to 14 teams. So we're going to go get USC, UCLA, Oregon. We're going to go. And then the PAC 12 is the one that ends up being relegated to what would then be group of six status. I just, it's also like no one in college football. And if you'd shown someone like in 2000, 2008 or 2009 even a map of college football in like 2012 they would have been stunned so it's just it's so we just don't know what's going to happen but i feel like one thing i'm safe in saying is next five years get ready for five more years of aac football which is not a bad thing because as mahadras tried to point out this is a good conference it's a growing conference they've gotten a lot more money they're getting more money they're they're in their own kind of tier right now where they're not just on the field but they're bringing in a lot more revenue than the other group of five so not a bad place to be for ucs yeah absolutely absolutely and like you said the the whole landscape of college football can change at any time. Um, but so, so we, we, it's hard to predict really what's going to happen um, in terms of, you know, alignment and all that stuff, but uh, I'll go ahead and get on to my first prediction for uh, UCF football in the next five years. And we'll, I'll start on a positive note. Um, I have one that's a little bit of a negative and, and two that are positive. I'll start on the positive note, kind of sandwich the negative one in between there. But my first one is that UCF will sign its first ever five-star recruit under Gus Malzahn. And it might sound a little lofty, but I just think the way that this staff is going after recruits, I think there's bound to be one eventually within the next five years that just sees their vision for UCF. Maybe it's a local kid. Maybe it's someone from, you know, that six, six hour uh, radius that Malzahn's been talking about. But I think there's good, there's bound to be at least one kid that's going to say, I see, I see the value in this and I see what they're building over there and he's going to sign on and, and uh, see if things, you know, can, he can be a part of a, a big change in college football. And I just think it's going to happen. I think the way they're, the way they're going after these guys right now, it, it seems like I mean, it, it wouldn't really necessarily surprise me if it happened sooner rather than later, but I just think at some point in the next five years, they're going to get a five-star and full, like full disclosure, just because I always say this, but stars in terms of like, just the, if you're looking ba- based only on stars, they don't fully matter, but we're talking about, you know, the elite recruits are the ones that get five star, like five stars. What happens on the field once they get here, who knows what's going to happen. We've talked about this in past podcasts about, you know, UCF getting some four-star guys that came here and didn't pan out at all and ended up transferring within a year. So that doesn't mean, you know, necessarily they're going to get this guy is going to be elite for four years. I'm just saying, based on recruiting rankings only, they'll get a five-star in the next five years. I think I disagree with you. I'm not surprised. I, thought, I kind of thought you were. You'll, gonna... I think you'll understand why better for my next prediction. But um, I... 
all of the, I think we've talked about this before. Do you know how many five stars have signed with all the current AAC teams in all of their history? I want to say Houston's had one, right? And that's the only one. Houston got at Oliver a few years ago. And that is for those 11 teams, they combined for one five-star prospect. And I just, I don't, yeah, I just don't think I agree. I want to agree. And I'm not saying it couldn't happen because I totally could see, especially with where UCF is located, because that's pretty much how it worked out for Houston. So I just like, there are so few five-stars every year. Aren't there usually about like 30 or so? And something like that. I just, if you're dealing with the five-star, they're going to have offers, not just from Florida, Florida State, Alabama, but Ohio State, Clemson, the other 130 FBS schools. <laughs> so I, I guess I could see it happening, but at the same time, I just like, I don't know. That would be a, that would, be, I know you said stars don't matter and to an extent they don't, but that would be a coup if UCF pulled yeah. that off at any point. I well, mean, that would be a big moment. Yeah. And it, it's, it's possible that I'm overrating the, the recruiting prowess of this staff or maybe i'm not maybe maybe this is going to be a really good recruiting staff but still they just can't get a five star because of the reality of it all of being group of five being you know in the middle of a state that has a florida florida state and miami but i don't know i just think that they're all it takes is one and we'll see i guess five years down the road if i'm right on this but i just i could see it happening and with just with the commitment that these coaches have been talking about recruiting and what they've already you know they've i don't know how many offers they've i feel like they've given out an offer to every four star they Plus. broke a hundred offers like a week and a half ago. Yeah. So they almost maybe you've broken 200 by this point, if that was a week and a half ago, yeah, you're not but wrong. it doesn't seem like they're really slowing down. But yeah, I mean, Malzahn's since he was hired has come in and said, you know, we're going to recruit with our hair on fire. And I think there there's some, there's going to be a guy that I think this staff absolutely falls in love with and makes a hard push at him. And maybe they're successful and they get him. So that's my first prediction. for. Well, him. Oh boy. I think that you are right. That if there was ever a UCF staff that would pull that off and get a five star, would absolutely be this staff, like without a doubt. Yeah. But, and, okay. No, go ahead. I was say because the way I'm looking at it is if yeah, I know it doesn't happen very often. Actually, it doesn't happen in the AAC other than that time at Houston. But I'm just looking at what UCF has to offer a prospect. I think it's on the same level or more of what Houston can offer a prospect. So if it's happened for Houston before, I think this is the staff that gets it to happen at UCF. It's also things like UCF puts a lot more players in the NFL draft than most group of five teams. Yeah. And uh, they could, for some odd reason, have a bunch this year. I don't really know why for some of them, but apparently this could be a really good draft class for UCF. That defense that held teams to an elite 31 points a game. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I'd so, but yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. If there, if there was, if I had to like, here's the way I look at it. If I had to pick a group of five team that in the next five years will land a five-star, everyone's going to pick UCF. Like I, you know, there's just, I, I guess some people would pick Cincinnati. They're not, I mean, yeah, they, there's obviously talent in that region, but not as good as the talent here. And I don't think there's yeah. like, Cincinnati doesn't seem like they're doing, I'm gonna get a little critical of Cincinnati. I know, shocking. They, I don't think they're doing as good of a job and I'm going on a complete tangent now, building their brand as UCF did after their really good season. They seem like they're more just like, we accept that we're a group of five team and we're just gonna act like it. It's like, guys, you could be making yourself out as a much better program right now if you tried. I don't but, disagree. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It bothers me that they're not, because Houston did a lot of what UCF did of really trying to push themselves as being an elite brand. Obviously they fell apart kind of after that, but you know, I, I don't know. I just think group of five teams, if you want, if you, if the AAC is really going to succeed these teams, it needs to not just be UCF trying to build a brand for itself. But anyway, yeah. that was a tangent, but <laughs> let's go into my next prediction. Cause it relates directly to this one. I, the main reason I disagree with that is I don't believe in five years from now, Gus Malzahn will be UCF's head coach. I was wondering if you were going to go there. I went back and forth on it because I could see, but I just, what it came down to for me is let's say that, I don't know, let's say next year UCF goes like 11 and two, they go 10 and two and win a bowl game. And then next, and the year after that, Gus has more of his guys in, they're all settled in the new offense and they go back to the year six. Gus will be 57. He's going to get offers from power five teams. He could even get offers from good power five teams. And I've said this before. I truly believe him when he says that he wants to stay here and build UCF. I, I don't think it's a ploy. Cause we've seen what the answers are like when it's a ploy, it's hypo saying like, Oh, you know, my kids love it here. Um, next question. Like that's what here now. I'm, I'm happy to be here now in the, in this very present moment. Don't ask me in five yeah. minutes, but um, happy and, where I am. <laughs> and Malzahn is straight up. Like I am going to stay at UCF until the 2100s and we will be the greatest program. Like he, he goes all in on it. So I do believe he means it. I just don't know if, I think it's easier to mean that when you don't have offers on the table, like what happens if in a couple of years, there's like a, I don't know. Cause they're not like, like just a, a sort of like 
one of those blue blood type programs, not a full on one, because not a lot of them they're going to have openings, but you know what I mean? Like a program of that stature, because if he's doing a good at UCF, he's going to get offers from mid-tier P5s. I think he'll turn down mid-tier P5s, but if a big offer comes, I don't know if he'll be able to say no. And I don't necessarily blame him for that. I don't think we should be like, oh, that's a bad thing because it means UCF's having success, but maybe I'm wrong. And maybe he is going to fit that O'Leary mold of a guy that succeeded the power five level and is now going to help elevate a group of five team. But I just don't, I went back and forth on it, but I just, at the end of the day, UCF just still feels like they can't shed that stepping stone label. And I hope he is the guy, but I, I have to go with my gut. I say five years from now, he won't be UCF's coach. Yeah. I mean, I was wondering if you're going to go there because I kind of considered that thought myself. I didn't think too much on it, but I could just see, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to not see UCF as, I mean, especially with the last two coaches they've had have treated it as, you know, like succeed, get out, you know? And I think, I think what Malzani's saying all the right things and he's, you know, I don't, I think, I think you're right that he means it um, right now. And I don't think it's just a, Oh, I'm only here until like I, I get the first offer and I'm gone. Cause it felt in a lot of ways. I mean, maybe it was the situation with the fact that Danny White was there too, but it felt like Tennessee was like the first big ish offer the Heifel got. And he's like, all right, see ya. And I know the money doubled and all that. There's a lot of stuff involved there. But... We actually don't know of any previous offers to Heifel. Cause I know his name got thrown around. They're like, Oh, like watch out for Heifel's name. But I don't think there was any other offers that we heard of. Well, he didn't even have a, the... After the 18 season, did, weren't there like there were openings and they're like, oh, watch out. Hypo was successful. Where like, you know, Frost just left, but Hypo was successful with this team. And I don't know. I think he's. But as, as I point but... out, the time he had such a Danny White signed him to this ridiculous buyout where yeah. for the first two years there. So I, I literally think the buyout was just an, I, like there. It, I think it was for a while, it was $10 million paid up front. Like you had to pay it in a lump sum, which like, te- like even the rich teams, like even Alabama doesn't just have a $10 million check to give right, right. then. Like teams do installments, like they'll get rid of, like Gus Malzahn got $21 million from Auburn, but he's getting that over years. They didn't hand him a check for 21 million. So I just think that that, I think Tennessee genuinely might've been his first head coaching offer since he got hired here. Yeah. And so I, it's hard not to see, you know, UCF still maybe as a stepping stone. And I think if there is anyone, like we just said, if there's anyone that's going to get a five-star to, to UCF, I think if there's anyone that's going to help UCF shed that, it feels like it's Malzahn just because he seems to believe so much in what this program can be, but you know, yeah, it, it's hard. And without knowing him personally, without, you know, being inside of his head, I don't know, you know, what his long-term goals are and what, what he really wants to do. If he wants to get back to the, to the SEC or get back to the power five level. And I, I think a lot of coaches, you know, that's the goal for them, but maybe, I don't know, maybe he is the, the kind of guy where he's in his mid fifties and he's like, you know, I can, I can coach here and have success here and help build this and not really be you know be, be content here and not really feel like he needs to go anywhere else to prove himself again because he had a successful time at Auburn and then if, if he can make this his second act I don't know if he's necessarily going to want a third act so you know I, I see where you're going and I see why you predicted it I'm just telling you why I didn't really think too much on it and didn't kind of include it as my own no I could totally be wrong I hope to god I'm wrong I um I unless I'm wrong because like we're not succeeding and no one wants to hire yeah. a uniform coach um, I, the flip side of it is because of his age. The other thing I want to point out for fans is I know that UCF pays at the top of the group of five or near the top of the group of five. He's still, I looked his salary, what he's getting at UCF is dead last or second to last in every power five conference. So, yeah. and I know he has money for days because Auburn was like, what if we like mortgage our university to get rid of you? But I still, that's a factor. But on the flip side, because of his age, if I think that if UCF could hold on to him for three seasons, get three seasons in, in under him, I think then he's the guy until retirement. Because once you're pushing like 58, 59, that's not only you're not really looking to move anymore. Teams aren't really going to come offer you at that point. I mean, it's like, especially the big power five teams, they want coaches where they don't have to worry about hiring a coach again for another decade. And yeah. you're sort of out of that age range there. So I think if UCF can go three seasons, 21, 22, 23, if he's the coach for those three, I think then he's our next O'Leary type where he's here for a decade plus or until retirement, whatever. But that's the danger window. The clock is ticking. (laughs) Clock is ticking, guys. So again, different story if he's here for three years and UCF is like, I don't know, like thirty-two and fifteen or something. But yeah. (laughs) Well, that so that one's a bit of a downer, and I think it's kind of sucks because I'm going to go straight into one that's also a bit of a downer. And then what? Maybe I don't know what your last one is. My my last one. My last one is I think it's positive, and fans might not. So we'll see. But okay, so (laughs) we'll go ahead and go with my uh, my second one. And I think you and I have talked about this before. And uh, I think Dylan Gabriel will leave UCF, whether it's after 2021 season or if he stays another year in 2022. I think he'll leave without winning a conference championship. And I'm not saying you know UCF is going to be bad over the next two years. I just think. They're, they're not necessarily – and even maybe maybe one or two of the years they get to the AAC championship game, I just don't think 
they win the conference in under Dylan Gabriel. And I'm not just saying that's because of Dylan Gabriel. I'm just saying, I think this year we've talked about it. I think is still, there's still work to be done. I think with this roster and this year might not be the year where UCF returns to the top. And if he's going after this year, then my prediction comes true. But if he stays another year, I don't know. I'm just not a hundred percent sure UCF is winning the conference within the next two years. They might, and I, I could be completely wrong and look like an idiot, but I'm just not sure he, he gets a conference championship before he gets out of here. What did we do where we became like the Dylan Gabriel hater podcast? Well, the, I don't know. That's, that's why I, I was like playing. Cause this is like the eighth conversation we've had. Where we're like, yeah, I don't know about Dylan Gabriel. This is why, this is why I was like toying with it around in my mind. Cause I was like, I don't know if I want to say this because like, I'm not hundred percent confident in it as a prediction. And I don't want to sound like, I don't like Dylan Gabriel because I do. And I think he's, I think he's a really good quarterback. And, you know, we've talked in the past about his limitations and, and what he needs to get better at, but he's still one of the top returning quarterbacks this season. I just don't think this season is going to be, you know, it's not going to necessarily be his fault. That's what I was, what I was trying to get at before is that if UCF goes 10 and two this year and doesn't win the conference, and that's still a pretty good year. And Dylan Gabriel could have had, you know, another season like he's had in the last two years with a, a great statistical season, but they just dropped maybe a couple close games to some teams that may be a little better. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. And then, I don't know. It, it does. It is a big factor is whether or not he comes back, because if he comes back for a senior year, then I will feel even less confident in this prediction, because I think that, you know, that if, if UCF is going to get back to a conference championship game and win it in the next two years, I think it's going to be next year rather than 2021. And I, I do think, you know, he has what it takes to lead UCF to a conference championship game. I just don't feel confident that it's going to happen necessarily. I no, I agree. Kind of waffling, kind of waffling on a little bit, but yeah, geez, that's where I'm going. (laughs) I um, no, I agree with everything you're saying. I because the way you look at it is he just yeah, I've been more critical of Dylan Gabriel than anybody, just because I think that he does have some serious limitations. I don't like I don't want this to turn to like I think he's a bad quarterback. He's easily a top five quarterback in UCF history, like without even trying. I just think that it's been a combination of issues that have just led to him not always being as effective as he could be. I think we're not going to get it because I just want, I just don't want this to be the Dylan Gabriel bashing podcast, but he did get just a bad hand with you look at his, you look at, he's going to leave after this year. I'd be shocked if he doesn't you. So you look at his three years at UCF year one, he was a true freshman trying to fill in for head and shoulders, the best player in UCF history. And one of the best quarterbacks in college football he had dealt with the struggles true freshman deal with that just kind of was what happens. That's year one. So not really an opportunity for a conference championship. They're your true freshman trying to fill shoes that just no one can fill whatever year I mean, look two. At Milton's, look at Milton's true freshman season. Milton's true freshman season was like, we need to cut this guy. Like it was like that. Bad. <laughs> That's and what you thought. That's what you thought. I didn't think that I was not alone in that opinion. Like he got, no, I, know, it, I know and it was bad, but like he, I mean, he, look, like, no, yeah, he got, got booed, booed off the field. Yeah, he got booed off the field. Yeah. That's insane in hindsight, but, and just at the time, like, Hey, don't boo players off of your own team. Like yeah. ever guys, come on. But then Dylan Gabriel's second season was this really messed up COVID season where UCF had basically like a really, really bad home atmosphere, a really messed up schedule. The defense was like, bye, we're going to see you in 2021. And so that year's out. Also, I want to talk, I'm going to, I'm just going to keep bashing Cincy. Apparently we were talking about this this week. I didn't realize Cincinnati played two home games in 2020. Yeah. Wait, we mean two road games or two road games. Sorry. Yeah. Cincinnati played two road games. They, they went nine and zero with two road games. I don't like hell. It give UCF two road, two road games. We'll go to the New Year's <laughs> six every year. Like, come on guys. But anyway, so that was Dylan Gabriel's sophomore year was COVID messed everything up and the defense was just bad. So that's not an opportunity. And now his third year is new coaching staff, which means we're kind of starting from scratch here. So yeah, he just, he just got a bad hand where there just wasn't really an opportunity in there for him to, they could win the conference this year if things break their way. I think they're going to be in the discussion. I just think it's a little bit of a tall order to get there, given that the schedule is really difficult playing Cincinnati and Memphis in back-to-back weeks, in my opinion, kind of torched their conference championship hopes, but we'll see. Yeah. And like I said, it, I could, it could totally happen this year and I'll look dumb for predicting this, but if I'm basing it off of my gut prediction right now, I just don't think he gets a conference championship before he's gone, but Totally could. And that's unfortunate because he'll, he'll, that's going to keep him from these conversations yeah. that he should be in. I mean, cause it's like, we talk about Cole Pepper gets a pass because UCF was independent, obviously, but I mean, Blake Bortles won, won the conference championship at UCF. He played for, he played for, okay, I guess you don't play for one that you win in the regular season. I don't know how to phrase yeah, that. Yeah, I guess not. they played for a conference style with him in 2012. Then the American, they won it when we didn't have a conference style game. Milton won one and would have won a second, if not for the injury. UCF ended up winning that Mac and Dylan Gabriel just, 
it, that's always going to hold them back. If because also if UCF doesn't win the conference, obviously that means no New Year's Six appearances. Now you've removed yourself from the Bortles Milton conversation yeah. because you didn't have any of those accomplishments. And real quick, I just thought of this earlier, and I want to know. I, I think I know what basically what myself what you just said, and I think I agree. But the 2018 conference championship game does that belong to Mac? And belongs to Mac, right? Absolutely. It's like the 20. So you could say Mac won them the 2018 championship. Yeah, he didn't get them to the game. Obviously, Milton got them. Yeah, it's just it, I thought of that earlier. I was just thinking about stuff, and I was like, it would be a little different really... if he sort of played a facilitator role in that game, but like he. Yeah had six touchdowns yeah. and like <laughs> dominated to bring them yeah. back from down and son. Obviously he had the fumbles in the first half when he was, wasn't great, but it was just weird to think about how I was like, Oh, well, Milton really, he only had one conference championship in his time here, but I mean, he kind of had to, how do you feel about that? Justin Holman will have left UCF with more conference titles than Dylan Gabriel. If Dylan Gabriel doesn't win one this year. Very strange about that. I feel very strange about it. Kinda I sent you a, I ooh. feel very wrong about it. I never mind. I was going to bring up those stats. I sent you. No, the other we day. don't. We're just not going to do that. Well, we'll save that for another podcast. I I was comparing Dylan Gabriel's career to Justin Holman. It was a whole thing, but anyway. Yeah. (laughs) You already just made so many people mad just now, just by saying that, but we'll, (laughs) we'll get onto your, uh, your last prediction for UCF football in the next five years. Okay. Do you have one more after this? I lost track. Yes. I have one more. Good. Good. So this was my prediction. This was sort of a wider prediction. I just said, what is my baseline for what do I think UCF football is going to accomplish in the next five years? And I feel like this would be a good five years. I feel like some fans will be like, what do you mean we're not in the New Year's Six every year? So this is my take. I think from the next five years from UCF, we will see at least three top 25 seasons. I think we will see two conference titles. And I think we will see one New Year's Six appearance. That's my takeaway. And I know that some fans are like, wow, that would be a disaster if in five years we only have one New Year's Six appearance. First off, no. And... (laughs) Second, I just, I think that we're moving into this phase where first off, it's great that the AAC is kind of has like a sort of semi auto bid now because the, the playoff committee is pretty much just shown they're like the best group of five team just means the best AAC team now. So that's great. But the AAC is just really, really getting good as a conference. I mean, for a long time, it was kind of like, I mean, it's always been Cincy, Memphis and UCF, but UCF was always a step above them. And now Memphis has been to the New Year's Six. Cincinnati has been in the New Year's Six. Houston at some point, I assume will stop being bad and we'll get back in that conversation. I just think that it's going to be competitive i think the ucf can be in more than one and if they are great but i just think the ac is turning into a really tough conference that being said the flip the flip side of that is we're absolutely at the point now where ucf doesn't have to be a conference champion to have a top 25 season if they i think we're at the point where if ucf is a 10 win team they're in the top 25 and that is i know that for a lot of fans that doesn't mean much or that's not a real accomplishment that's big for recruiting that's big for the brand that's big for everything i mean that's a to be one of a consistently a top 25 program is a big deal and i think that the next five years of UCF, whether Malzahn stays or not, that's going to be the defining thing of the next five years. Is this is when UCF proved itself as a consistent top twenty-five program in college football? Yeah, and that's the line you play for, really. Is is if you're a top twenty-five team, you get to say in a re- recruiting pitch, "We're a perennial top twenty-five program." That's yep. the line you're going for right there. And if you can do that, I mean, you're a pretty successful program. And I'm not going to, you know, deconstruct your prediction too much because my next one it actually ties into this a little bit. I don't. I didn't go as in depth with like everything I'm expecting in the next five years in terms of accomplishments, but, and this is the one I kind of said earlier, I told you earlier that two of mine kind of conflict with each other and it's a little bit weird, but my last one is that UCF will earn back-to-back new year six bids at some point in the next five years. And the only reason I'm saying this conflicts a little bit is because I'm, I'm thinking, I just said Dylan Gabriel is not going to win a conference championship. And if, you know, somehow he, if he does come back for a senior year and, and that prediction is to come true, that means within the, in the last, last three years of this window, UCF has to go back to back in, you know, two of those three years. And so that's why they conflict a little bit. But I just think, I, I think when we think about UCF's peak uh, under Frost, under Hypo, you know, those two years, 2017, 2018, I'm not saying they're going to win 25 games in a row again. I'm just saying they're going to have the types of seasons where, you know, they're back to being that level where UCF was, you know, pre 2019 and 2020. Um, You know, I'm not, so it's weird to say like, so if, if Gabriel did leave after his junior season or I guess second sophomore season, if that's how we're branding this, um, then, you know, it gives UCF four years to work with to to do a back-to-back to to the new year six. And I'm not saying they're going to win back-to-back new year six. I'm just saying they're getting back-to-back new year six bids. So it's a little bit of a bold one. And, and I, why not go bold with one of these, at least, I guess all of them, all of mine maybe have been bold, but this one, I feel like feels maybe the most difficult to accomplish the most outlandish. I don't know if outlandish is the right word, but I think it's, it's pretty lofty. 
Uh, it's yeah, it's lofty as hell. Um, I uh, I mean, UCF is still the only group of five team to have ever done that. Boise, Boise's been to three, but they it was like three over like twelve years. But I I think it's possible. I mean, one thing you forget is that I mean, UCF was a couple plays away from three straight. I mean, you look back at the 2019 season. I mean, I know that people disagree with me on this and this is not, I know it's like the Dylan Gabriel trash show right now. This is not a knock against Dylan Gabriel. I just felt like he had a lot of, I just feel like, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of starting two freshman quarterbacks. And I've always felt like if UCF had gone, I know Mac was hurt, but even if UCF had stuck with Wimbush longer or off Mac, I felt like first off they fit, they they both fit what Hypo's trying to do better. And I feel like they're worth seven points to have a non-true freshman quarterback. I think UCF could have been to three straight if Dylan Gabriel had redshirted. And I think that would help Dylan Gabriel down the line, whatever. It doesn't matter now. He turned into a great quarterback. And part of that, and part of that was just, he was playing so well. It was kind of like, all right, well, we have to. Yeah. But I mean, so it's not crazy in that sense that it's like UCF, not only just a few years ago was in back-to-back, but with a different quarterback almost could have done it again. If things had just broken slightly different. I mean, you look at like little tiny moments, 2019 that totally changed that year. So it's possible. I think that you need a little bit of a perfect storm for it. Where that, I think that I don't think, I'm trying to think how this could happen. I think it needs to be similar to 17, 18, where you need a quarterback coming back. You need, it's kind of like the situation since he's in right now. I mean, since he might prove how possible this is because they're trying to do that this year and they very well may, but I definitely think it's possible. It's definitely your boldest one, but it's not something that I'd look at and be like, no, that's not possible. The one thing I'm just like, would be annoyed at is if we hit the rotation where we got Fiesta and cotton, because I really just want to be in the peach bowl, but you know, (laughs) you take it. Ah, the peach bowl is so fun. I want to go I, like that's the thing. I want to go back to that stadium, but I don't think anything for me will compare to being in that stadium for a UCF game with so many UCF fans there. There were like just a, I loved the stadium itself and just loved that experience. But if I just went there for a random Falcons game or a random like bowl, I guess the Peach Bowl or another game, whatever, it just wouldn't be the same as that day. Like it was just such a special day with how many UCF fans were there and the kind of game it was. And what a memory. It was also just I always forget you were there. Because we were, we both went and did not see each other at any point during that trip. Right, we were in opposite end um, zones. We were. I waved to you. You didn't see me because it was the opposite <laughs> end zone. But uh, why did we not see each other? Ah, oh, whatever. I um, <laughs> I got, but, I got like, okay. Another thing, just really quick, that stadium is just, oh man, it, it's kind of sucks because they like played so many games on Sundays in the NFL. But the prices for dude. concessions in that stadium. The Chick-fil-A, like, I know like it's it's more expensive to get a Chick-fil-A sandwich there than it is at a regular Chick-fil-A, but $5 for a Chick-fil-A sandwich at a stadium, like I would expect it to be like, if you get it something else, like a, a hamburger at any other stadium, it's 8 or $9. A Chick-fil-A sandwich for $5? I almost oh. bought the guy's entire satchel when he walked up. Because <laughs> it's like, what, like at some stadiums, there's people selling like cotton candy, like the guys walking around. They were just like, Chick-fil-A sandwiches, get your yeah. Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And I was like, <laughs> What? And I was like, how much is it? And they're like five dollars. And I was like, I will give you everything I own. Just give me all your like, sandwiches. I'll give you a twenty. Just give me four sandwiches. I had my one, my friend. I went with went to like the just the concession stands. He came back with this giant like barbecue brisket sandwich, which looks awesome. Like a side of tater tots, a big drink, and I'm like, I was like, geez, how much was that? And he was like, it was seven dollars. Yeah, like that stadium is amazing. Oh, I wish I wish other stadiums would take notes on that kind of stuff. I love how this conversation started with how many New Year's Six Bowls will UCF go to, and ended with concession prices that I, just, like I don't know solid. I just thought I just thought of that day I was starting like, to reflect on that day and remembering that I had a, got to eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich while watching a UCF game in Atlanta I don't know it was just nice no you're gonna say time. something I have no idea what it was I was I was just gonna go on a rant about the because uh, we're just uh, I'm gonna just take this on a tangent now so buckle up everybody go ahead so I totally think it would be great if UCF goes to New Year's Six Bowls I, I think that UCF has lots of New Year's Six Bowls in their future I think I do think that 1718 numbed us a little bit to what a massive accomplishment that is you know, like UCF's been to th- went to three from 2013 to 2018. Like I said, Boise, it took like almost 15 years to do that. Like that's a big yeah. deal to go to that many years. <laughs> so, but I, one thing that bothers me is like, I, I wish there was a way that like, if UCF's in the near six, it should just be the Peach Bowl. Like no one was at the Fiesta Bowl either time. Like this last time, I, I mean, I went cause I was able to cover it. And so I got some help that way, but it was literally like, I think they announced attendance of like 55,000 for like a 75,000. And I just wish that the New Year's, so for those of you who don't know, the New Year's Six Bowls, I mean, they rotate in two different services, the semifinals every year, but there's also a group of five rotation and there's a couple rules to it. The first rule is that the group of five team will never, ever play in the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, or the Orange Bowl, because I don't know, those are the three like most prestigious i guess well the rose and sugar they have tie-ins but like the orange bowl most people think that's just an acc tie-in it's acc plus big 10 or sec or notre dame that's their official tie-in so you can't play those which that leaves you peach fiesta and cotton 
the they also have a rule which is sort of an unofficial rule that the the group of five representative cannot play in the same bowl in back-to-back -back years that's why everyone in 2018 thought we were getting like a florida ucf peach bowl and they were like no you're going to arizona have fun so i just think that's annoying like i just i i i mean I, would you agree with me bailey i don't think all obviously being a new year six is a big accomplishment but i wish it could be more of a regional thing where if ucf's in it it should just be the peach bowl i don't like the idea of having to go to texas or fiesta and also play teams that you're not regional with you're likely to play a big 12 or pac 12 team which isn't what ucf should be playing yeah no i agree and i think just because logistically as much as 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 much fun as it sounds to be like oh yeah like let's travel to arizona for a ucf bowl game or to texas whatever it's just for a lot of people, including myself, I would say is not, not a doable thing. No. So and Atlanta, an Atlanta trip is much more doable than going, you know, that far, that far West. I just don't think, you know, I, I think it's like that probably for a lot of fan bases that they don't, they're not going to travel that far to the other opposite side of the country for the well, bowl game. Cause I think that's the thing too, is like when you're looking at opponents, like a team, well, I guess this is a bad example because LSU is not always in new year's six games, but just like, if you look at a team that's like in a new year's six game, and already they know it's a power five team they're already like whatever they're not in the playoff and they're usually in new year six they're not going to travel that far to go to it. it's just like oh we're just it's a throwaway game for them for ucf it's a little bit different and i think ucf fan base would think a little bit more about going that far because it's such a big accomplishment in the group of five but it just i think uh power five fans kind of just look down on it and they're just like eh, whatever full game i think it definitely it was interesting i was talking with um so when i uh because it depends, there's only a few power five teams where I'd say that that is the situation. It's the ones, the Alabama's, Clemson's, Ohio State's that expect to be in the playoff. And then when they're not, it's like, ah, well, because I think a lot of people don't realize a lot of the power five teams, they're in the near six bowls each year. They're not doing it every year. It's their, you know, it's those rise up years. But I, LSU was one that was notable because that was their first New Year's six game since they'd made the BCS title game in 2011, which is kind of crazy. It was their first one in almost a decade. And they had like nobody there. And I was actually, I was freelancing for a New Orleans paper at the time. And that's why, I, that's why I was there, actually. I was covering it. I was helping cover it for them. And I asked, I was like, wow, they have to have no one there. And they were like, oh, that's not, they were like, that's not a bull prestige thing. Like LSU fans just don't go to games. And I was like, oh. And that tied into me to, I don't know, I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast, when Danny White was still athletic director, he declared in December of this past year that UCF was no longer going to play in out-of-state bowl games unless they were oh, New Year's yeah. Six games. And fans kind of scoffed at that. I thought that was a great idea. Like, shouldn't that be the goal is playing games that fans can go to? to an extent but i think i think where he lost people on that was when you look at the bowl the florida bowl games that ucf could realistically go to people were like i and, and it's again if you look at the non-new year six games they're all pretty much on the same level but you're gonna have a hard time selling ucf fans on oh yeah we'll just we'll stick to the cure bowl or the the gasparilla bowl every year because i don't think they're not going to want to do that and they'll get tired of that within a year or two this is also where I differ for most UCF fans. I feel like is that if UCF, like my take is like, if UCF's not in a near six bowl, I want them to have a team that they can just beat the crap out of so they can, so they can get ranked and look good. Like, I know other people want the challenge. Like they're like, no, we want to like be like playing power five teams. I don't see like we're on such a tangent now, but it's like, I don't see like an upside. You look at like what the, when the group of five, like when the good, AAC teams aren't in a year six the teams they get it's like oh wow this is so exciting we're playing six and six Wake Forest or like six and six whoever six and six Kansas State and for me it's like what's the upside there if you win it's like oh well duh you won they're a six win team and if you lose it's like haha wow see the top group of five teams can't even compete with the lower level yeah. five. so I just don't I'd rather like I liked the I thought the Gasparilla Bowl was perfect and I felt vindicated and that UCF got an inferior opponent which I know fans weren't jazzed for the matchup they went and blew them out and they were rewarded with a top 25 ranking which was a big deal, a third straight top 25 ranking. So I feel like that, I feel like just bowls themselves are meaning less and less. So why not just look at the value outside of, you know, what fans want to experience versus, oh, we're going to go travel to a different part of the country to play some team there's no upside to play. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a discussion to be had there. And like you said, we got so far off of, you know, from the the prediction that UCS is going to get to back-to-back games, uh, bowl or New Year's Six games in the next five years. But yeah, I, I think there's definitely a discussion to be had there and something that, I'm kind of curious to hear what Mohajer's thoughts are on that, especially because it was just, it was something that Danny Whitehead just kind of said and just kind of put his mind on right before he left. But um, yeah. And so I think this was, uh, it's just interesting to think what, what UCS going to look like in five years. Cause I mean, if you, if you think five years ago from right now, you know, what's UCF going to look like, that would have been, you know, what, what happened in the next five years, you wouldn't have been able to write that. So definitely a fun conversation. And I, if you're listening to this and, and you, 
have any strong opinions on any of our predictions or you want to give any of your own, like I said, find us on Twitter. You know, we, we love talking to, to anyone that's listening and, you know, want to hear your thoughts on all that. But Christian, unless you got any bonus predictions, I don't have any. But if you have any, any bonus predictions, uh, I will go ahead and move into the news section. I have one bonus prediction. UCF will wear uniforms. lots of really, really cool uniforms as they have before. I know you too well. I know you too well. I'm so but. I'm so excited for I just I can't wait for what UCF will come up with in the future with uniforms. Like the, I know for some people it's like oh they look cool. The game like that to me is like almost as exciting as the season. <laughs> it's like oh, what I know. combos I know UCF's going to break knows. out that's how you feel about it but yeah no i mean it's it, and we'll get on to your uniform of the week here after the news but pewter black black yeah. this year please i, I just I please need, i need it i need pewter black black i need a lot more pewter in my life this year but uh news news wise uh we'll, we'll go ahead and jump in here football has a few a few uh items to talk about isaiah bowser transferred from uh, northwestern he's a running back and uh a couple of years ago, just back in 2018, in the Big Ten, he ran for 866 yards and six touchdowns, averaged 4.4 yards per carry. And I don't know, when you're looking at UCF's backfield now, there's a lot of unknowns besides Bentavious Thompson. So you're kind of just wondering, you know, how's that going to shake out? And I, I think that's one of the things that's going to be interesting to watch in the spring. Um, you know, spring game, and, and speaking of the spring, the spring game, we knew it was going to be on April 10th, but it will be kicking off at noon. And I think that's a little bit of a disappointment to everyone, isn't it? Really? Everyone on Twitter seemed really, really thrilled and excited about how they're actually going to die to watch UCF play a spring game. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I, logistically, I feel like, and, and just comfort-wise, it would have been a lot more fun if it was a night game. But Wait, you, you know. don't like dangerous dehydration? I think it's, <laughs> I think it's all the rage. I just remember the Stanford game in 2019, <sighs> and I wasn't, we, nobody was wearing a mask then. And just think about you know, wearing yeah. a mask and that. I mean, I was in the air-conditioned press box eating a burger, so it was pretty nice for okay. me. But um, I, I, you looked really, you looked like you were having a rough time. Yeah, I, I just it wasn't the greatest, but yeah, it was a fun game. Uh, NFL, UCF in the NFL news. Uh, Shaquille Griffin signed a three-year, forty-four and a half million dollar deal with the Jaguars. He's uh, got twenty-nine million guaranteed, so he's uh, gone from Seattle for the first time in his career, and we'll see what happens with Shaquem from there. Um, I know they like to be together, and we'll see if Shaquem gets a, an opportunity with Jacksonville. And Matt Prater, he's uh, leaving Detroit. He signed a two-year deal with the Arizona Cardinals. And it seems very possible that his replacement in Detroit will be Matt Wright. So, you know, I think we talked about this. Um, actually, one of our earlier podcasts is that it just seems like maybe the Lions are going to go with a, a UCF kicker pipeline. So that's pretty cool. They are going to be so shocked when they switch to a Barsky after this. Oh, no. They're going to have no idea what's coming. Uh, okay. We're, I can't, I can't say I'll plead the fifth on this one. Uh, <laughs> men's basketball, uh, their season came to an end in the AAC tournament. They, uh, they beat ECU, the number 11 seed ECU on Thursday in the opener of the tournament, 72 to 62. And they played a really fun game against number three seed Memphis on Friday. They lost 70 to 62, but after falling behind early, they, they came back in the second half, there was a stretch there where I was like, I think they might do it. And they just, they just fell short. Free throw shooting wasn't there. And, you know, a disappointing end of the season, but they finished 11 and 12, 8 and 10 in the AAC and got a lot of talent that should be coming back next year. So pretty exciting time, I think. Yeah, that was I mean, about that was ahead. about the best they could have. Uh, like that was that I know a lot of fans are upset. They're like, what's going on? It's like they got screwed hard by COVID this year. I mean, it was literally like they got taken out for months at a time and it was great recovery to end on. I think it was a five and one run that they're in a good place. I'm excited. about yeah, next year. I agree. I agree. And Women's basketball is in an even better place. Uh, despite losing the AAC tournament final, they lost 64 to 54 to number one seed South Florida, who just apparently couldn't miss from three for some reason that night. Um, they still earned an at-large berth to the NCAA tournament for the second time in the last three years. They earned their highest seed ever, the number 10 seed, and their first round matchup is on Monday afternoon against number seven seed Northwestern. Uh, volleyball, they, uh, they swept Cincinnati on Friday and Saturday. So they're now 12 and one in the uh, 12 and one overall and six and zero in the conference. They clinched the number one seed in the AAC East division. They're just rolling right along. They're number 12 in the RPI this week. And Narissa Moravec uh, was named the AAC defensive player of the week for the second time this season. And once again, McKenna Melville was named the AAC's weekly honor roll uh, softball. They, uh, after following their big week with the win over uh, Arizona last week, they, they swept FAU over the weekend they didn't allow a run. They won three nothing on Saturday, and then had a doubleheader on Sunday. They won five nothing and four nothing. Um, and after that, after that weekend, and after her performance against Arizona, Gianna Mancha won just all of the awards. She just basically won all of them. She uh, had pitched last week. She pitched twenty shutout innings. Yeah, didn't allow a run. Had thirty strikeouts in those twenty innings. So she earned the AAC Pitcher of the Week, the NFCA National Pitcher of the Week, and the D1 Softball Pitcher of the Week award. 
Uh, so huge, huge week for her. Denali Schopacher was named to the AAC's weekly honor roll as well. And uh, for a big week, the softball team was number 20 in the USA Today slash NFCA coaches poll. Uh, they followed up that sweep on the weekend. Uh, the, they split the doubleheader on Wednesday. They lost nine to seven at UNF, and then they beat uh, UNF nine to one in the second leg or the, the second game of that doubleheader. They're now 18 and four overall. Baseball, they had a, a little bit of bounce back weekend. They won three out of four, um, you know, for that series against UNF, which started last Wednesday. They won 10 nothing in that game. They won six to two on Friday, lost 14 to seven on Saturday, and then won in th uh, three two in walk off fashion against UNF on Sunday. Jordan Rathbone was named to the AAC's weekly honor roll. And uh, on a little bit of an unfortunate note, or well, very unfortunate note, the uh, team has lost Matt Archer for the season due to a torn ACL that he suffered during the celebration uh, of the walk-off win on Sunday. So those stories are always just so sad. I mean, they're just they're celebrating a win and that kind of stuff. When that kind of stuff happens, it's uh, it's pretty awful. But uh, baseball still won eight to three against FAU on Tuesday, and they're now they're now seven and nine overall. So uh, a little bit of a better run lately for the baseball team. Men's soccer, they came up with their biggest win of the season. Now things are looking a lot better for them. They won 2-0 at number nine SMU on Saturday. So they're now 3-3 three and three overall, and they're tied for second in the conference. So uh, a big win there. And uh, out of – I don't know how to say this man's name. I, I practiced this, and then I just froze up on it. I have a – I'm sorry. I have a question about this. For, for the listeners, we have like a rundown we go through on the podcast that we're both looking at, just what we're planning to talk about. You put a pronunciation guide on here, and the pronunciation guide makes less sense than the real name. I agree. No, I agree. And then no, when, didn't I help at the, all. when I listened to the, he scored a goal in the game and we're talking about Adebayo Barry. He was named the AAC offensive player of the week. Cause he had a, the game winning goal against SMU and on the broadcast. I don't know if this was just a mistake, but they didn't follow the pronunciation guide either. So that's why I was so confused here. I was just going to follow the pronunciation guide, but whoever was calling the game didn't. So I was just like, am I, am I reading this wrong? How is this? So apologies to, to him because yeah he had the game winner uh against number nine smu and uh, another big award yannick Ertle was named the aac goalkeeper of the week he had eight saves and a clean sheet against number nine smu so i know we were talking a couple weeks ago about men's soccer had just been one of the most disappointing you know they've been off to one of the most disappointing starts of any ucf team in recent memory but they've bounced back and i don't know three and three isn't the greatest record but they're tied for second in the conference and have a chance to to you know, stay up, stay up there, and uh, give themselves a shot in the conference tournament. But uh, their season's actually winding down. Women's soccer—they played to a one-one draw against ECU on Sunday. They're now two-two and one, and they're third in the AAC. Uh, they still got a chance to move up too. We'll get onto that a little bit later. But Ellie Moreno Nate was named the ace into the AAC's weekly honor roll as well. And for men's tennis, they won seven nothing against FAU, who was receiving top twenty-five votes on. Saturday, they're now seven and two overall and still one and zero in the AAC. And they're number 21 in this week's ITA rankings. Women's tennis, they won six to one versus UNF on Saturday. And they're now 10 and two overall and they're eight and zero at home. And they stayed at number 17 in this week's ITA rankings. And I thought this was crazy. They've been in the top 25 for over 720 straight days. So that's uh, not too bad, not too bad. Men's golf. Um, Played the General Hackler Championship last weekend. They were 14th, 13th, and tied for 11th in those three days. And women's golf, they finished 10th at the Briars Creek Invitational in South Carolina as well. So uh, we'll move on to the, the road ahead and what's on the schedule in the next week or so. And it's a really light schedule, surprisingly. Uh, women's basketball, they'll play their uh, NCAA tournament opener on Monday against number seven seed Northwestern. And, uh, of course, we'll see how, if that game goes well, they'll have another game uh, later in the week softball they have a three-game series at number 19 South Carolina this weekend they have a doubleheader on Saturday and then the finale is on Sunday then they play uh, Wednesday they host number seven Florida so that's going to be a really big week of it for them and you know they've they've been pretty battle tested as it is but they're going to get some even tougher games coming up now baseball they have a three-game series with Jacksonville this weekend they play Friday and Saturday in Jacksonville and they'll be back in Orlando for Sunday's finale then they play Wednesday at Florida State Men's soccer back on the pitch Saturday uh, at home against Temple. Women's soccer, they play Sunday at South Florida. And this is where I was talking earlier about how they have a chance to kind of climb up the, the conference table. They, with a win and a Memphis loss, it would move UCF to the top of the AAC. Despite, you know, they're only two, two and one, but they're on seven points. And I think they're two points behind South Florida and, uh, and Memphis. So they have a chance to, to get close to the top of the conference here as the season wind, regular season winds down. 
Uh, men's tennis, they'll play Friday, Friday at Florida State, who is uh, another team receiving votes in the top 25. And Sunday, they play at number 17, Georgia, which is a game that's getting made up from earlier in the season. Um, then track and field, the outdoor season will start this weekend with the Black and Gold Invitational. And uh, yeah, like a pretty light week. Uh, obviously, no men's basketball anymore. And uh, the women's tennis team is off. Volleyball's off. They'll be back next weekend. And uh, strangely, a pretty a rare light week for, for UCF around the kingdom. But uh, still, a lot of big games within that, that small slate. But we'll move on now, Christian, to your uniform of the week. And just to recap, the first three weeks, we've had a two-time winner. In the first three weeks, we've had men's soccer with their gray kit with the nice Pegasus on the sleeve. They've won twice. And women's basketball's black uniforms, they've won once. So, Christian, let's hear your take on the uh, UCF uniforms from this past week. Yeah, we're keeping it simple this week. I didn't even put up the poll. So I'm going to be honest with you, I felt bad about last week. I felt like I kind of screwed uh, baseball because a lot of people are big fans of the uh, white Pegasus uniforms. And uh, I am too. I just, I need to rant about baseball again and not even about what they're actually like doing in their game. So that's exciting. Um, baseball's pissing me off this year because they're just making really weird, like tiny uniform tweaks that are bothering me. First, it was like they were going with the gold helmets with like uniforms that featured no gold. Now their new thing is they went with the white Pegasus jersey, but with the black hat with the reverse UCF logo. Then they went with the black UCF jersey, but with the white hat. And like, it just doesn't look right. And it's really bothering me. That being said, the Pegasus uniform wins this week because I felt bad about last week. So even though baseball is annoying me, I'm giving you uniform of the week so that I don't have to worry about this anymore. So congrats justice to UCF is, baseball. Justice is served. I like the men's soccer kits, but I really was sad last week when the Pegasus uniform lost. So I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Yep. I just hope that, you know, in the future, they stop switching the hats. And they make better hat decisions. Make better hat decisions, guys. Make better hat decisions. Keep winning some games. Everybody will be happy, including Christian. Especially I just care about make, the Especially, hat. yeah, especially if you make the right hat decisions. I don't even, Christian doesn't even care if you keep losing. Whatever. Let me put it this way. People on Twitter would be a lot more respectful of the losses right now if you were wearing the right hats. People on Twitter being you. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Well, that's the entire list. <laughs> the list starts and ends with you. But Christian, appreciate the, the uniform insight as always. And we appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're, we're now nine episodes into the Pegasus podcast. We're having a great time with it. We appreciate any and all positive feedback. Uh, I haven't gotten too much negative feedback, which is nice. And I'm not asking for negative feedback. I'm kind of just hoping, I don't even know why I brought up negative feedback, honestly, but <laughs> appreciate you guys so much for listening. And until next time, you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams, 22 at by CA Simmons and at night sports. Now, thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next week for episode 10. Bye everybody.